0: the reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 4, and reading verses 9 to 12, I invite uh, your hearing of uh, the word of the Lord uh, both in faith and in reverence. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was after. Uh, It was not after, pardon me, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I invite you to join me again for a time of prayer. Uh, O Father, again we come before you in prayer. Worship and praise and adoration great is our God and greatly to be praised, our triune God, God the Father, almighty maker of all things in the heavens and the earth and the sea, God the Son, very God of very God, and God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Uh, We bow in prayer before you with praise and also with thanksgiving for uh, all of... Thy mercies to us and thy grace to us, primarily thy grace and the giving of the Son to us, and then the giving of the Spirit to give us uh, eyes to see and behold the beauty of the Savior whom the world did not see, and ears to hear the Savior whom the world does not hear, and hearts desiring to follow the Savior, the great shepherd of the sheep. Help us to never forget all the benefits of the Lord to us. And for thy fatherly care and for the privilege of coming before you in prayer to uh, lift up the needs of others, we reckon that we all come here with various things that are trials for us, uh, things that cause us distress, We come in each one in a measure of weakness and uh, so pray that you would meet each one here at uh, the point of their need. Intervene on behalf of them in circumstances that are perplexing or through which they see no way forward. Um, But again, intervene in ways that are wise and good. Um, We may come uh, perplexed and in your word we find wisdom and skill for living. We may come grieving something, and yet you are the God of all comfort, so comfort us. We live in a world where lawlessness abounds and is spreading, so protect us and protect our loved ones uh, from physical dangers, but all the more from the spiritual dangers that abound. These are, in many ways, uh, personal uh, needs. We have the great need of a congregation to be united, to love one another, uh, to bear one another's burdens. Uh, uh, help us to do that in ways that glorify you. We are thankful uh, this morning for the Word. We are thankful for Phil, for his ministry in the Word, his uh, uh, devotion to you, his devotion to the Word, his time of study and preparation. And Bless him, bless his wife, his children. Uh, But now, O Father, prepare our hearts uh, to hear the word uh, for you are the Lord of the word. And your spirit is the great one who gives illumination. So we pray for the ministry of the spirit and the word together, that the word would go forth in power, accomplish every purpose were until you send it this morning. That word which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, which gives us skill and wisdom for living before you and before men. These things we pray in the name of the eternal word, thy son Jesus Christ, amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers.
1: I once uh, had a fill-in professor at a seminary uh, who, for whatever reason, took the time to respond to the parroting of all the students that it's so hard and please make it easy and so he finally said something to the effect that uh, it's really true that brevity is the soul of wit, but when you're here, write it out. And so there was a great volume of work. I, I presume that the professors were looking for thoroughness uh, and a manifestation of understanding. So I never really forgot those words. I mean, it is true, brevity is the soul of wit, but when in doubt. Paul is going to write it out, respecting the doctrine of justification. And that, of course, is very important for a number of reasons. It's foundational to uh, salvation. Uh, It's a pillar of the church. You take that doctrine away, the church ultimately is going to collapse theologically. Uh, It's reading... uh, This week, uh, the words of Charles Hodge, who challenged me with the notion, if God has provided a way of salvation, and you have your own way, you can't be saved. That is an incredible statement. Because the vast majority of the world, even worse, of Christianity, believes in faith and works that God does his part and we do our parts, and in that cooperation, somehow, in the mystery of salvation, we're saved. It's obvious that the Apostle Paul is rejecting that theology out of hand. And he is embracing the imputation, the charging of an alien righteousness, namely the righteousness of Christ, to, uh, to our accounts. Is the only way of salvation. And what's even more important, the heavenly courts recognition of the acceptance of the righteousness of Christ alone. And it's going to return again, Paul's going to return again to uh, several events in uh, the life of Abraham uh, to seal that fact, to drive home the reality that your salvation is entirely the work uh, of our Savior and his righteousness that, of course, heaven receives. And our text this morning is the primacy in faith alone illustrated in the order of Abraham's life and the doctrine of justification. So Paul's going to return us to the biography of of Abraham. And the larger context is he's writing out in great thoroughness the doctrine of justification. Uh, We learned last week that it was received by Abraham by his faith alone. It's the entire basis of justification. Uh, Abraham believed in God, and it was imputed to him as righteousness. Think about that. God does the imputing. A human priest imputes nothing. Always amazed that, uh, certainly in the Roman Catholic Church, not throwing rocks, but just examining the theology, that the church is dispensing the grace of God. When in the life of our one of our great forefathers, it was God who was dispensing it. And I think if you try to shove human priests in there, you you do great injustice, not only to the text, uh, but to the very basis of our salvation, that it is not an inherent righteousness within us It cannot be given by a church. I grant you the importance of church. Certainly in many respects, it's the mother of our salvation. But God alone does the imputing of the righteousness of his son. Again, uh, my quick review in terms of Paul's thoroughness, uh, it is uh, a legal declaration made by the court of heaven. In most corners, and I I repeat again, in most corners of Christendom, a justification is an infused righteousness, meaning that grace comes within us and works to make us righteous so that our justification is based upon our cooperation with God. In total contradiction to the Apostle Paul, as well as Moses and John in the book of the Revelation. Not just minor contradiction, major contradiction. Let me read to you, uh, just by way of understanding Uh, quoting Roman uh, doctrine, justification is not only the remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the interior man. Cannot square that with the Apostle Paul. It says it's a legal declaration of righteousness based solely and entirely on the court of heaven, declaring us to be righteous just as was the case of Abraham. No, no difference whatsoever in our justification and Abraham's justification. We believed in Christ, and it was imputed to us the merits of his obedience. Nothing at all to do with the inner man. As I've stated before, in Eastern Orthodoxy, it's faith and works. Uh, so in effect if if you think about their theology of orthodoxy in Rome sanct our, our sanctification is the cause of our justification an entire reversal of the proper order of justification uh, that sets in motion our sanctification I mean, typically in our culture with a decline in theology, you know, someone's going to say, well, come on, Phil, what's the big deal? I mean, let me repair to Hodge again. If God has provided the way and the only way, and you go a different way, uh, you are in extreme error. And it's an error that the moment you pass through the portal of this life, can never be corrected. So it's, it's important to understand. We to um, the prophet Isaiah, my favorite verses. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. We are as all have become unclean. And all our righteousness... Are as filthy rags. And we all wither like the leaf. And the iniquity like the wind carries us away. So tell me, you're going to take your works to God? I don't think so. The point of these texts, the point of the Apostle Paul is to remind us of the beauty of our salvation and for any who is not saved to turn them to Jesus Christ. Because outside of him, the wind will carry you away in an error that is so grave and cataclysmic that it cannot be fixed the moment you pass through the portals of this life. And Abraham, one of our great forefathers, is the premier illustration of an imputed righteousness, an alien righteousness, and the fact that God himself declares it to be so. No mention of any other agent. Uh, In verses 9 to 11, first part of verse 11, faith and justification uh, come before works. Again, It's not discounting works. But not respecting the doctrine of justification. Here it's the work of Christ alone. And Paul begins with a rhetorical question, verse 9. Is the blessing then upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised also? Uh, He's setting up the temporal precedence of faith alone. Uh, Several times in this text, uh, Paul quotes uh, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. Uh, It's worthwhile. Uh, to recover uh, the beauty of this text, respecting uh, our forefather. Then he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, reckoned it to him as righteousness. In a moment, in a flash, the righteousness of Christ was charged to the account of Abraham, it's the basis of his salvation. Uh, the Apostle Paul is um, explicit respecting this order, certainly in the book of Galatians. He quotes Genesis 15, 6 and Galatians 3, 6. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Faith apprehends uh, the work uh, that God has done. context of Galatians 3 is decisive because there's an argument about the presumed, the presumed necessity of law works of which circumcision is a part referencing the whole. Something we do? something God has done, and in the mixture of the two, uh, we are justified. Therefore, we participate. Abraham is telling us he believed, and God made it so. In Galatians 3.11, Paul says, um, by the works of the is no man justified. I might add, in more poignancy, by the work of any human priest, is no one justified. Uh, It is well worth remembering in the history of our faith that the doctrine of justification is the cause, what's the cause of the Protestant Reformation? that this incredible, perhaps the greatest revival of all of church history, except when he revived your heart to come to faith, was based upon this doctrine. And I remind you again, uh, this doctrine obviates the entire sacramental system of Rome. Because we need Christ, not a human priest. Only Christ will do, and in the beauty of our salvation, he does uh, for all who have faith. And as you know, uh, even faith is a gift from God, but uh, nonetheless, um, Paul is affirming that. Romans, Galatians, and again, it's really the theology that's found in the book of Genesis that Uh, comes to us with greater clarity in the New Testament. Uh, The next rhetorical question is, uh, respecting Romans uh, 4, when was it imputed? Again, verse 10. And it was imputed when Abraham was uncircumcised. In other words, he hadn't done anything. He was justified. So that for Paul faced with first and it solely and entirely apprehends the blessings of justification. A couple of weeks from now we're going to look at a measure, the full measure of the blessings of God that simply as if the dam of those blessings have broken because of justification that flow to the sinner. It's incredible, based upon the work of Christ. And temporally, uh, years after he was justified, Abraham was circumcised, thereby validating the primacy of faith alone. Uh, verse 11. The temporal illusion, and again, this is Paul kind of hammering shut uh, the coffin of religion, um, is to Genesis 17.10. So if you have your Old Testament, uh, I encourage you to turn there. uh, Genesis Uh, 17.10. God comes to Abraham and says, there's for you, you shall keep my covenant, and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Uh, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants. After you, every male among you shall be circumcised. Genesis 17.10. Uh, in the context, if you look at verse 1, we read that Abraham was 99 years old, and God is giving him a sign of the covenant. And the Lord confirms the covenant promise and establishes the sign of circumcision, much like He does with us in baptism, sacrament of the Lord's table. Visible signs to confirm what God has done. But the timeline is incredibly significant for someone who wants to shove into the work of God alone their works, their contributions, their participation. In after the great event of genesis 15:6 and uh, genesis 16:3 um we read that 10 years um, has elapsed and in verse 16 we read that Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him just documenting passage of time. And now, in chapter 17, he's 99. And he's circumcised. And so just get your ruler and draw the timeline. This is not exactly a photo finish. Which was first? Some 20-plus years has elapsed, since his justification until his circumcision. So how can you shove your participation into justification? You can't. It's impossible. The proof is in the timeline of Abraham's life. 75. He follows the promise of God. Now he's 99. And this is the Precedence and the priority of faith before works and respecting the doctrine of justification, absent works, except the work of Christ alone. And this is the beauty of the theology of the Apostle Paul. If you think of the theme of the book, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Think about what occurred in Abraham's life. He believed and God charged him to be righteous. That's incredible power. The entire blessings of the obedience of Christ charged to the account of someone when they had no power. They were vacant power. They were bankrupt. All of their works were as filthy rags and God in sovereign power imputes righteousness to them. The soul person of all of time and history in the universe that can do that. It's God himself. And that power will be expressed more fully as we continue in the book as the cavalcade of the blessings of God rain down upon the person that's been justified by the grace of God. It, it, it it's it's well worth uh, remembering that circumcision, sign and seal of the covenant, points to something greater. I mean, if you think of our sacramental system, uh, baptism in the Lord's table, uh, they are visible signs pointing to a greater reality. And Abraham's circumcision is, does exactly the same thing. It's pointing to a greater spiritual reality. If you think of the timeline of circumcision, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, in in verse 16, uh, God God says, children of Israel, circumcised in your heart and uh, stiffen no more. Uh, When you come to the New Testament, circumcision is no longer an issue. It simply falls away. illustrated beautifully in Colossians. You might turn to that passage because this is the greater event that Abraham's circumcision was pointing to. It's the greater event that the entire uh, circumcision as a system in the Old Covenant was pointing to. And that once there's Christ, it falls away. Why is that? Colossians 2, verse 11, and in him, namely Christ, You you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That's what Abraham's circumcision was looking to, the greater fulfillment in the new covenant, ratified by Christ. That he broke the dominion of the flesh, thereby enabling us to live for God. He accomplished the spiritual reality by his work alone. In fact, let's look at the beauty of his grace, even, even in the Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, in verse 6. You know, sometimes there's a strange theologian that says, well, the Old Testament is all about judgment and New Testament's all about the grace of God and his love. I mean, that's nonsense. They're not contradictory. One's just a greater reality and progressive revelation in terms of our understanding. Look at the grace of God in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise. Remember, chapter 10, verse 16, he tells him to do something, and then the great promise of God, he's going to do it. That's the grace of God. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. The promise fulfilled in Christ. uh, He he cut the flesh. uh, Documented, of course, in the life of Abraham. Think about it in terms of substitution. On the cross, he was cut for us. And then he's going to cut us in the greater spiritual reality, the circumcision of Christ. And it's so radically important because if you want to shove your works in there, uh, you're shoving something that's temporal and imperfect. And the law demands total and continuous perfection and obedience. Which is what Christ became for us, the merits of his obedience charged to us. Yep. Always try to say something to that effect when people say, you know, I'm I'm a pretty good person. Well, not good enough for God. Where people more and more are telling me that Phil, I'm just I'm a very spiritual person. Real? Real. Really? Uh, it's tragic that God won't accept that. He accepts the currency of the obedience of his son. It's the sole and entire basis of our justification. Let's look at the purpose of Abraham's circumcision, uh, latter part of verse 11, verse 12. Purpose of Abraham's circumcision is he might be the father of all who have faith, whether circumcised or uncircumcised. The point is what? The point is faith, uh, not the physical activity of, of the male. Again, hammering it's faith uh, minus works uh, Romans 4:11, that he might be the father of all who believe. Without being circumcised, and that righteousness might be reckoned to them. So he's our—he's—I mean—he's our forefather. Uh, notwithstanding the topsy turviness in our own culture, um, he's our George Washington, our Thomas Jefferson—all uh, wrapped together father of our faith, Abraham, because he shows us that it's apprehended by faith alone. In verse 12, he's also the father of all who believe and have been circumcised. Because again, it's not the issue of circumcision. It's the issue of faith in Christ. The primacy of Christ irrespective of the sign and of certainly irrespective of ethnicity. All who believe. no ethnicity whatsoever, the life of the church, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, And Paul goes on to say that respecting the circumcised, uh, the greater issue is, if you've been circumcised, that's not the issue, it's those who follow in the steps of the faith of Abraham, that he believed before he was circumcised and he was justified before he was circumcised by 25 some odd years. Two critical elements here. They they must follow the faith of Abraham. You can't go to God and say, aren't you impressed with my works, what I did to my body? Because he's not. He's only impressed with his own works, the work of his son. Uh, the verb follow comes, comes from noun to, to row. It's like the old slave galleys where everyone's chained to, uh, to their seat and they're all in a row and they're all rowing at the same time. Paul is saying, if you've been circumcised, you, you better row as Abraham rowed. You better believe because absent Believing in Christ, your circumcision counts for nothing. Nothing. Remember, remember the prophet. All our righteousness are as filthy rags. We all wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind carry us away. That turns us to Christ alone, to be sure. It's intensified by the direct object that they're following in the steps or footprints of Abraham's faith because faith saves and not circumcision. Decisive issue is what? Faith in Christ. The entire basis of our justification. Cause of the Reformation. Foundation to the church. It is the essence of our faith that we are safe from the terrors of the law and its demands for continual perfection in the obedience of Christ that he charges to our account based upon his sovereign power and grace. Uh, Oftentimes, Um, hear something to the effect that Abraham is uh, the father of three religions. Father of Judaism, father of Christianity, and because of his relations with Hagar, he's the uh, father of Muslims. But that's That silliness when you reread Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6 and Romans chapter 4 and 5. It's decisively incorrect. He is the father of all who have faith in Christ, irrespective of their ethnicity. He's the father. He's our Forefather, in terms of the Christian faith, based upon the fact that God reckoned him to be righteous. He's not the father of the Muslim religion. It's almost laughable when you think about it. Uh, He's not the father of modern day Judaism that is trying to do works and obey the 600 plus laws of the Old Testament. Try that out for your New Year's resolution. When you figure out that you're going to flunk it, rejoice in Christ. In fact, fairly soon Paul's going to remind us that Christ met the demands for us. That's our hope and safety. So the only true religion, therefore, is represented by Abraham who had faith in Christ and all else are false to be rejected. And that's really true in our culture. Well, I feel pretty spiritual, Phil. Well, Phil, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I think I'll get on the scale and I'll make it. I always try to quote Isaiah 64 6. I mean, go, go compute that if you're trying to make it on your own. Uh, and this is not new to the apostle Paul in Romans chapter two, verses 28 and 29, for he is not a Jew as one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew as one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. I mean, Paul could have just stopped there. Thank God he didn't. Because in terms of understanding theology and precision, brevity is not the soul of wit. He writes it out. That in the constancy of the repetition, at some point, in God's grace, we get it. And we claim Christ alone. as the soul of Entire basis of our salvation. And that we won't fade like the leaf and the wind won't carry us away. Another reality of this is Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says, We're the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I'm always amazed by my Christian brethren who are looking for great events to occur in the geography of the land of Israel. We're the true Israel, who put no confidence in the flesh and have faith in Jesus Christ. We are the true people of God. Because of Christ. One of my favorite illustrations, it's one you know very well, is think about the thief on the cross. What works did he do? The thief on the cross did no works. How did he get to heaven? Jesus charged his righteousness. to his account. And that very day, with no works whatsoever, he was received into paradise. What a great picture of the power of the gospel to transfer a man in a moment whose life is soon to be snuffed out from earth to heaven. From the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. Based upon the spoken word of Christ. Not a Christian. That's your only hope. There's no hope in works because they're not accepted by heaven. Uh, Nothing at all inherent within you only by God's grace and his sovereign power. uh, And that God simply declares it uh, to be so. So, fairly clear in this biographical time sketch of our forefather Abraham, uh, by faith alone he was justified. And the content of his saving work Uh, We can read New Testament theology back into the old because one continuous uh, theological reality. uh, He had saving faith in Christ alone. And the power of Christ alone saved him. Um, Like the thief on the cross, we can take this to heaven. and heaven will receive it because it delights in the work of the Son. And therefore, we are safe in him. We cannot lose what he gave to us, what we didn't deserve in the first place. And it's not only the cause of the Reformation, it's not only the entire foundation of the life of the church, it's the basis of our every day joy and celebration of our great Savior.